the memories. The clock is down to 48 seconds. 20 to 10, Colorado leads Nebraska. They have waited a long time for this. So many times, the red flood has come into Folsom Field, and they have gone back across the border to the north, the winner. It won't be this time. The Stories. Prukop to the corner for Carrington, intercepted! Colorado got it! Witherspoon! With the biggest play in Colorado football for years! And now, as a supplement to over 40 years worth of CU football coverage in the CU at the Game archives, here is Stewart with his CU at the Game podcast. Greetings, Buff fans from CU at the Game. This is Stuart Whitehair, publisher and editor for the CU at the Game website and your host for the CU at the Game podcast. I will be joined in a few moments by Brad Geiger and Neil Langland, and we will dissect the Buffs trip to Eugene to face the seventh-ranked Oregon Ducks before turning our attention to the upcoming game against the Oregon State Beavers. We'll also discuss the controversial ending to the Oregon game, with the Ducks getting a style points touchdown in the final minute, as well as my essay for the game, Brother, Can You Spare a Hundred Million? which takes a look at how the CU and Oregon programs have taken different paths since they met 25 years ago in the 1996 Cotton Bowl. As a reminder, please remember to subscribe to the podcast wherever you download your podcasts, and be sure to leave us a review. Hard as it may be to believe, the Buffs left Autzen Stadium Saturday with some renewed confidence in their offense. Will that carry through against the Oregon State Beavers? who have one of the worst pass defenses in the country? Let's find out. Okay. And we're back for another Monday night taping. If it's still taping, I guess that makes me sound old-fashioned. We're talking to the pride of Highlands Ranch, Brad Geiger. How's Brad doing this evening? Ah, Brad's good. Got to spend parents' weekend on the East Coast with my kid. Uh, where football games are first come, first serve, no ticket required. <laughs> New England football, other than the Patriots, is uh, come as you Very want. Very different deal out there. Yes. And the dean of downtown Denver, if I can use some triple alliteration, Neil Langland, how are you doing this evening? Oh, just fine. Recovering from the long ha- uh, Halloween weekend here. It's been quite a week quite a few days here with all the costumes and everything else that went on downtown this weekend. Very good. Well, Neil, I'm going to stick with you last uh, weekend, Colorado traveled to Eugene, Oregon, Autzen Stadium. It never rains in Autzen. 52-29 was the final. Do you want to start with the offense uh, for Colorado or the defense for Colorado? Are you a half full kind of guy or glass half empty kind of guy this evening? Well, we've got two glasses. One is half empty and one is near dry, I think, this week. <laughs> uh, kind of inverted between previous weeks. The offense, I think, gave a good account of itself. The defense, I think, missed Landman, but overall they were just mismatched, overcome by Oregon's talent. Okay, Brad, do you have a preference? You want to talk about the 
newly found success of the Colorado offensive line, or you want to talk about what it's like to have a defense playing without Nate Landman? Well, let's talk about the offensive line because we've seen what this defense looks like without Nate Landman. This is last year all over again. But, you know, you have to be, oh, impressed is far too strong a word. But there were visible systemic steps on the offense. It wasn't luck. It wasn't trick plays. It wasn't a fluke. And I don't think it was that the Oregon defense was particularly down or uninvolved. This offense got better. The progress that we saw in Arizona and then saw none of in California, for some reason, decided to show up against a top 10 team in Eugene. And that feels like a combination of the the line playing better, Brandon being more confident, uh, certainly receivers making plays. So there were, I think, legitimate reasons for optimism on that side of the ball. Uh, Whether those will lead to wins, completely different question. Okay. Well, Neil Brandon Lewis, 25 for 33, season best, career best, 75% completion, three touchdowns, also a career high. For 224 yards, uh, the coaching staff, Coach Durrell, seemed to be pretty impressed with what he saw from Brendan Lewis on Saturday against Oregon. Uh, Would you concur with the the head coach? As critical as I have been uh, of Brendan Lewis up to this point, I certainly need to eat some of those words and heap some praise upon him. He has improved, I think. Against California, perhaps the team we underestimated, he was not good. He's showing more progress from where he was against Arizona. He's getting back, planting his foot, getting the ball out quickly. And still has slight accuracy issues, but, you know, is 100% better than he has been for most of the season. Uh, seems to have confidence, seems to have in his abilities, confidence in knowing the offense. And I think was in a good rhythm. A lot of that I attribute to perhaps lightening up a little bit on the offense and opening the playbook a little bit and finding a number of plays where he can shine that are suited to his stage of development at this point. So I I think he's done well as a young man. He, He deserves credit. But the coaching staff also, whoever is responsible for putting together the game plan, helped him tremendously with their selection. And I didn't really recognize that O-line. As Brad mentioned, they played so much better. They were just like different guys altogether. And I was, I was really happy to see that, you know, we had four touchdowns, which is more than four times of our average per game over the previous weeks. So a lot to be happy about with the offense really. I had read somewhere that one adjustment that the new O-line coaches made was to have wider splits, and that seemed to have um, helped them a lot, both in the running game and in pass protection. Yeah. Well, and uh, Brendan Rice, Brad, had a a good game, the 13th highest total for all-purpose yards, uh, his second career 100-yard game and second touchdown. One caveat, though, with the all-purpose, he had 281 yards of all-purpose yards. Like you say, it's the 13th highest total in CU history, but 162 of those were in kick return yards. So 
one way to get a lot of kick return yards is to have a lot of kick returns. So not necessarily the staff that you really want to go for, but certainly Brendan Rice, he was a vocal leader. He was certainly outspoken after the last game, talking about people needed to either step up their game or leave. And he certainly backed up his belief that uh, this team could still prosper. And he certainly is emerging as one of the stars of the offense. Well, and I mean, let's face it, that's important because if there's a name you don't want in the transfer portal and one that would be recruited to go into the transfer portal, it's Brennan Rice. Him being involved, him being enthusiastic, him believing in the team, that has implications far beyond the Oregon State game. Okay, well, Neil, the uh, Buffs had 341 yards of total offense, which is considerably better than the average coming into the game at 238 yards. Unfortunately, Colorado is still last in the nation, moved up to 251-yard average. Wasn't enough to move them out of 130th. Do have a shot at Southern Mississippi and New Mexico if you want to start, chart some statistics this weekend. They have an average of 254 yards. Uh, but to get to 127th in total offense, Navy at 281, that's 30 yards per game more than CU is getting. So basically you have to take whatever Navy gets against Notre Dame in total offense and add 250 yards to it for CU to get all the way up to 127th in the country in total offense. So my guess is that you're not completely sold that this is the brand new and improved Colorado offense that we can expect to do wonderful things going forward. Those are interesting stats, Stuart. Um, 345 yards in contemporary college football is not a lot of offense. It's just not. In order to have real offensive production and to give the defense a rest, they're going to need, I think, to produce somewhere in the four and a quarter, four and a half to have a consistent offense that can move the ball and keep um, keep some uh, – I'm sorry, occupy the the clock. The thing that worries me is that they're up and they're down. And now that Oregon State has some film on the new schemes, I worry about whether we're going to get out adjusted. But, you know, if we can get up into the high 300s this week and then maybe over 400 a couple games from now, I think that's great progress. But there's no, no indication really that what they did Saturday is going to be sustainable. We'll just need to wait and see. Yeah. Well, they, you know, they say the games you remember are the ones they play in November. At least that was, I think Gary Barnett used to say that. So moderate to above average grades for the offense, but the defense, Brad, did not uh, fare as well against Oregon. 568 total yards, seven to 10 on third down conversions. The first team offense went seven for eight on touchdowns with the other one being a field goal with uh, Oregon finishing in the red zone with seconds remaining, ended up kicking a field goal. So it was eight for eight in scoring. The only time that they didn't score was when the second unit came in and the second string quarterback threw an interception. So hard to give the uh, Colorado defense anything but a uh, D minus to an F type of grade. Fair, fair assessment. No. I mean, that, yes, of course, it's a fair assessment. It just, I mean, this is, as we discussed, this is an offensive team that is 
uh, more talented than CU at almost every position. There is a real deep concern that there appears to be one leader on that team, and that's Nate Landman. And without him, they play with a lot of confusion. They don't ever seem in position. They seem to lack a great deal of enthusiasm. He is a motivating force in a way that we haven't seen for a while, which is wonderful for him and very concerning for the other 10, the 11 people on the field. Yes, Oregon beat CU. We discussed that they probably could name their score, but there were some pretty inexcusable errors of positioning, of errors of figuring out what they were facing. There were times that the defense looked completely unfamiliar with what they seemed to be seeing. Yes. Well, Neil, last week when we were doing the podcast, the predictions were Oregon scoring somewhere between 45 and 55 points. So they came up with 52. So why is it that we're surprised that the Colorado defense was as poor as it looked on Saturday afternoon in, in Eugene? You know, I, I was basing, you know, that, that number just on the excellence of Oregon's offense and that at some point they would be putting in their subs. They could have had 70 perhaps if they had really pushed it, but what kept them from scoring more was limiting their possessions by CU being able to move the ball on offense. And I think that took pressure off the defense or else it would have been 70. Brad's right. They were out of position. Uh, I, I watched the linebackers and especially the one that was taking Landman's place frequently overran plays, overran gaps, committed to a gap, uh, and then got caught in the wash when it turned out to be the wrong gap. I, I think the linebackers really did not play well as a group. And I think they missed Landman because his talent is sitting back and scraping and finding the ball. These other guys don't seem to have that same instinct. And that's a shame because they seem like otherwise pretty good players, but they just don't have the nose for the ball that Landman does. And I just, I don't want to get in prediction here, but without Landman, whomever we are facing, the run defending the run game is going to be a problem. Right. And yes, before we get into it, yeah, taking on the number 11 rushing offense in the country this weekend. Before we leave the Oregon game and get to Oregon State, I want to get you guys' opinion on something that I got involved with and some message boards that ticked me off. And I want to know if how you felt about it, because there are certainly some varying opinions. The final minute of play, Oregon had the ball inside the Colorado 10-yard line. They had a first and goal, only a minute to play. So he only had one timeout. So even if Colorado wanted to call a timeout, Oregon could have kneeled three times, but instead they ran their offense, got a touchdown with 50-some seconds to play. Now compare that to the Cal-Oregon State game a couple hours later. Same situation. Cal was up by two touchdowns, just like Oregon was up by two touchdowns against Colorado. Final minute of play inside the Oregon State 10-yard line. So what did Cal do? Did Cal go for the style points, go for the glory to get the three-touchdown win? They ran the clock, ran the clock, and on fourth down, Chase Garbers, since they uh, 
had stopped the clock on third down. He couldn't just take a knee because that would turn the ball over. So he backpedaled and then threw the ball into the 13th row. No touchdown, end of game. I understand the argument that it is the offense's job to score. It's the defense's job to stop them. But do you guys, either one of you, have an opinion about Oregon trying to get style points being a 26, 24-point favorite over Colorado and only winning by 15 points versus getting that last touchdown to make it a 23-point game? Brad, you don't have an opinion, do you? Oh, I might. But it's it's probably not the one you expect. Bottom line is Oregon is still in line for perhaps being in the bowl championship. If we set up an unfair, subjective, crummy system for choosing who gets to be in that championship, and you appoint people to the system who we know don't watch Pac-12 games, and judge only based on the scores they see, when a team is trying to make that and they decide that that extra seven points against a bad CU team matters, I have difficulty blaming them. Is it sportsmanlike? No. We have a system that rewards people for being unsportsmanlike. I blame the system and particularly the people on it who don't know the first thing about Pac-12 football. Okay, Neil, what was your take on Oregon scoring with 50 seconds left? Well said, Brad. You know, there's, there is a dilemma there of good sportsmanship. And I had a vision of uh, Phil Knight calling down from the press box, reminding Cristobal of the fake punt and getting some retribution for that per your article. I think the conference was upset that CU played so well because they were looking for Oregon to run it up and really get some style points. That said, you know, I would like to see the Pac-12 in the the CFP. So as distasteful as it is, I don't like it, but I understand it. Okay. Well, I don't want to diverge too much because we want to get to Oregon State, but the article you're referring to, it was my essay for the game. Since I didn't really want to write about the game so much, I wrote about a Colorado-Oregon game played 25 years ago, which was the Cotton Bowl, the 1996 Cotton Bowl between Colorado and Oregon. Both teams in the top 15 in the country, both 9-2. and two. Colorado won the game 38-6. to six. And what Neil's referring to is in the fourth quarter with Colorado up 32-6. to six. Rick Neuheisel, first-year head coach, called a fake punt, led to another touchdown and some hurt feelings on the Oregon sideline, but perhaps more importantly for the trajectory of the two programs the last 25 years, Phil Knight was at that game and gave an interview years later saying, well, that was what pushed him over the edge. He wanted Oregon to be, wait for it, like Colorado. And so he asked Mike Bellotti what it would take to help Oregon become more like Colorado. And Mike Bellotti said, well, I need an indoor practice facility. And $10 million later, the floodgates from Nike to Eugene were opened. So is this just karma, Brad? I mean, does uh, Rick Neuheisel, the ghost of Rick Neuheisel, still facing us? Or did you like the article or even read the article that uh, my take on it that 25 years ago, the two teams met in crossroads. Oregon went off in one direction. 
the University of Colorado started a long 25-year slide to where we are now. I can think, I mean, it's undeniable that the Phil Knight money coming to Oregon changed the entire conference. You know, it is probably a little too easy to say that that game is the one that caused it, but I don't think the coach or anybody else was thinking about that when they ran those plays. I think they were thinking that we need a big score to impress the pollsters, and that's why they did that. I think, how do I say this? I think there are some of us who pay more attention to history and some who pay attention to what's going on in the game immediately. (laughs) (laughs) Well said. You know, the pollsters are not going to be fooled by that because they probably study the game films pretty closely and know the situation. and they can detect a cheap touchdown from the real thing. So the irony is it probably didn't matter. Maybe it made things worse for Oregon. Okay. Well, we do want to move on to this weekend's game. Colorado is it hosting Oregon State. 5 p.m. kickoff. Weather should be pretty good in the 60s on Saturday. Of course, Pac-12 Networks, you know, the home of the Colorado Buffaloes for the most part. Uh, unless we're on Fox and national television getting beat up on by Oregon. So let's talk a little bit about the Oregon State offense. Uh, As mentioned earlier, Brad, this is the number 11 rushing offense in the country. Let me throw one stat at you with Nate Landman in the lineup, in the starting lineup the last two seasons, Colorado is six and five with the defense giving up an average of 20.8 points per game. So good, not great. Certainly would happy to six and five record, you know, at the 11th game this season. Ain't going to happen. The three games that Nate Landman has not started in the last two seasons, Colorado is 0-3, giving up 48 points per game. So as you guys were both talking about earlier, Nate Landman's factor is pretty significant. He is considered to be doubtful. At his Monday press conference, Carl Durrell said that Nate Landman, if given his option, would play with one arm cut off. He said that uh, Nate Landman would still want to play, but he's looking out for Nate's best interest and doesn't think it's likely that he will play against Oregon State. So that being the case, how is CU going to handle the 11th rushing offense in the country without Nate Landman in the lineup? I fear not well. I mean, I don't know who this Oregon State team is. You know, they can beat Washington, lose to Washington State, only team to beat Utah, and then look pretty bad losing to Cal last week. And, you know, I don't know how good that Cal team is. Um, They certainly look like world beaters against CU. I think there is a lot of reason to think that Oregon State will find success on the ground against CU. They tend to just kind of line up and tell you that they're going to run the ball. Um, it's not, you know, it, this is not a fancy offense. They tend to run it well within the tackles and know when they can go outside. There has to be some change. The linebackers have to play much better. The defensive front has to hold linemen better than they did against Oregon. Now, this is not as talented a line as Oregon has, but they can do what they want to do. And they have kind of consistently been able to score in the 20s and 30s. There's every reason to believe that they're going to do that again. Okay. Well, Neil, I mean, we're probably looking at B.J. Baylor, number four in your program, that 
is, well, he's probably shooting to get over a thousand yards for the season coming this game. He's close to 900 yards, 872 yards rushing so far this year. He was the Pac-12 Offensive Player of the Week when the Beavers beat Utah in Corvallis. If the Buffs focus on that, can uh, the Buffs force the you know Oregon State to pass? Is that even a possibility? Chance Nolan, who's the quarterback, who is not Sam Neuer. Sam Neuer started the first game of the season for the Beavers against Purdue. Didn't fare very well. Has only been in one game, the Idaho game, and that was a mop-up duty. So Sam Neuer really hasn't seen any action since the first game of the season. It's been Chance Nolan at quarterback. And even Carl Durrell was kind of giving Chance Nolan some faint praise, kind of just saying he's effective, you know, game manager type. So the game plan seems to be pretty clear that you stack the box, you force him to throw the ball. That's the game plan. Cal did it pretty effectively last weekend. Can Colorado take that same game plan and make it work? I don't know. I th- I think Brad's right. The linebacker play has to be much better. They may have to go to a, a more of a run-oriented defense, like a 4-3, maybe have an extra lineman up there to try to prevent that. I don't know what kind of schematic adjustments CU may have in mind. But without Landman, the second half of the Utah game last year, the bowl game, and then last Saturday, they have been hapless against the run. Now, unless we get some sort of very elevated level of play from those linebackers, it, it looks like it's going to be the same story this, this time. Uh, I'm not sure if we plug in an extra linebacker or an extra lineman that it's going to make a whole lot of difference. I think Oregon's line, or excuse me, Oregon State's line earlier this year was really powering through defenses. They were making big holes. I think the likelihood of that happening Saturday is high. Well, and remember, their third leading rusher is the quarterback. Yes. Um, And we, CU has been at times, as in all times this season, vulnerable to rushing quarterbacks. Hmm. So the sad part is we bring eight in the box and focus on Baylor. I'm quite concerned that Chance Nolan will simply run around the end because we've seen that show before. Yes. And Nolan's only been sacked eight times this year. As you mentioned, 200 yards rushing, the third leading rusher, compared to Brendan Lewis, who has been sacked, wait for it, 23 times. Ouch. And again, that's not all Brendan Lewis's fault, but that's thus the fired offensive line coach. <laughs> to, to Brad's point, you know, the fact that this is a quarterback that is not maybe a DTR, you know, type of a running quarterback, but he certainly is a quarterback that can escape. It sounds like perhaps the way to win this game, as as it may sound, considering Colorado's offense of the past oh, seven or eight weeks that outscoring Oregon State is the only way that you're going to actually beat Oregon State. So now, Neil, Oregon State's 3-2 and in Pac-12 games, but they've given up at least 24 points in all five games. And in their two road games, last two road games, they've given up a total of 70 points and 1,000 yards of total offense. 
So they're giving up 35 points a game and 500 yards of total offense their last two road games in the Pac-12. Well, that sounds like a defense that even Colorado can expose. Is that possible? Two weeks ago, I would have said no, categorically. Now I think it's at least a possibility if the O-line continues its trajectory of improvement. I think CU can probably put up 400 yards on them if the O-line does well. And if we see the offense progress as it has the last week against Oregon and against Arizona. I think what I like about the offense is that there is a rapport developing between the quarterback and some of the receivers. And that could be an adder that could actually put CU over the top. It's possible. Plus, with our special teams, we're going to see Rice take one to the house at some point. This might be the week for that. And that also could help put CU over the top. If we get more than hopefully we only have one kickoff return the entire game, but Brandon Rice gets enough opportunities. Yes, eventually he's going to break one and take it all the way back. Brad, the defense for Oregon State, they are 114th nationally in pass defense. Then with Brendan Rice and, well, you got Levante Chenault is going to be back. According to Carl Durrell, he's back practicing. I think interesting, he actually did suit up. I don't know if he actually got into the game against uh, Northern Colorado, but at least on the game notes, he was he dressed. And you've know, got the four-game redshirt rule. Colorado still has four games to play. Technically, if you know Chanel played in three of the four games, he could still have a redshirt season. Carl Durrell hinted that he might be available to go on the road for Oregon, didn't make the trip, said at the press conference on Monday that he was practicing with the team and very excited to be back with the team. I don't think we've gotten any in- inclination as to exactly everything that was going on suspension-wise and what was required of him to get back off suspension. I'm not sure if that's ever going to become real public information, but got to be pleased that Brendan Rice is playing well. And if Dimitri Stanley, who's been a no-go the last couple of weeks, if he can't go again, if Levante Chenault is back in the lineup, that gets you another weapon to try and exploit this defense that's giving up 275 yards passing a game. You know, yeah, this is, I mean, these are two teams that average giving up 400 yards a game. It feels like this is a defense that CU's passing game could take some advantage of, that if they can get any semblance of play action working, that there are, uh, that there is some hope there. Now, we've had that hope in the past. We thought we had some hope against Cal. Didn't happen. But I think there is some opportunity there. Okay. Well, Neil, what's the the mindset? You know, you're talking about the, the buffs. You know, you hear the locker room quotes from last week. Even though the buffs lost by three touchdowns, there was some optimism there. It seemed like there was still some team unity there. I don't know if you read anything about Arizona State, but there seems to be a complete meltdown taking place in Sun Devil land. Even though they have a winning record going to a bowl game, they're just not going to be the Rose Bowl team that they thought they were going to be. Seems like the Buff locker room seems to be still intact despite the the record. But as Brad was pointing out, we've been promised or had optimism before. We thought coming out of the Texas A&M game that 
hey, this is a pretty good team. They got their act together against Northern Colorado, almost beat the number five team in the country. And the next thing you know, it's a 30 to nothing game. I think that after the Arizona game, okay, now they've got it figured out and they come out and lay another egg against Cal. So is there optimism coming out of a three touchdown loss? And can that carry over or are we headed for more disappointment? Good point. They're, they're like a pinball and they bounce around in terms of their achievement level and seemingly their, their interest and their motivation. But from what I could tell from watching the players' body language, they seem to be somewhat happy with their progress on Saturday. So maybe this locker room may start to come together now. And Lewis is starting to emerge as more of a leader. I think the key to whether CU psychologically can do well in this game is if they come out and show some success early. If they're able to move the ball, maybe score on one of their first two drives, even if it's only a field goal, that will keep them going psychologically. I think the difference between previous disappointing efforts and this one, and I hate single-factor causation, seems to be the regeneration of the offensive line. And I would look point specifically to the tackles. And when we get to keys of the game, I will say more about that. But Thibodeau had a very pedest- a pedestrian game for Oregon. He, he was under control most of the game. And I think it's the tackles that uh, deserve credit for that. So when we get to that part of the, uh, the podcast, I'll have more to say. Okay. Well, let's get to that part of the podcast. We'll let Brad go first. You've got a defense that the next time they stop the first unit will be the first time in two weeks that they've actually stopped somebody and forced a punt. Um, nobody more lonely on the Oregon sideline last weekend than the Oregon punter. Not likely to stop the Oregon State rushing game. Might be able to have some success, success passing the ball against the Oregon State defense. The Buffs are in a situation where they might have to try and outscore another team, which, based upon Colorado prior to the Oregon game, would be an absurd thought. We, you know, I jokingly made the prop bet about whether or not Thibodeau would have more tackles for loss than Colorado would have points. And as Neil pointed out, he was, you know, a, a first NFL draft pick or first round, certainly top five NFL draft pick, and we actually contained him. Oregon State doesn't have a Thibodeau on their on their team. So big picture, sunsetting Folsom Field. We're sitting in uh, nice warm seats because we're not going to be on the bleachers. We're going to be up in the clubhouse Saturday night. Thanks, Uncle Fred. What is your prediction? What? How do you see the uh, the game against Oregon State for homecoming 2021 playing out? Oregon State. You know, the loss last week was, I think, bigger to them than our loss to Oregon. Oregon State still had things to play for. I mean, they still do. They're being told by their coaches that they just they need to beat CU to keep their bowl hopes alive. Based on record this year, they're a better team than CU. If the offense for CU last week made progress, they need to make 30% more again. I would really love to be enthusiastic. 
I think this is a game that could go into the fourth quarter, but I still see Oregon State. I have this bad feeling about one of those 12 play, 11 of them running play drives early in the fourth quarter to put it away, ending up something like 32-25. Oregon State. Oregon State. Yeah. Okay, well, Neil, I mean, Oregon State technically does still control its own destiny to get to the Pac-12 championship and the Rose Bowl. They're one game behind Oregon in the loss column and, you know, get to play Oregon in the formerly known as Civil War Thanksgiving weekend. So still motivated, but again, there was no reason for them not to be motivated against Cal. And this is back-to-back road games. We know how well CU does in back-to-back road games. So this is the second half of a back-to-back weekend on the road for Oregon State. Team's given up at least 24 points in every game in the Pac-12, given up 30 the last three games, given up 1,000 yards the last two road games. Any chance for the University of Colorado to pull off an upset against a team that's given a 12-point bulge, according to Las Vegas? I think it's down to like 10.5 now, but it was a 12-point spread to start the week. Buff's going to be able to pull off an upset, or is it uh, going to play to form according to what Vegas has to say? I'm going to say that they're very close, um, and I would give them about a 60% chance of winning the game based on the following. Uh, Oregon State is again on the road, and they haven't been doing well on the road. I think CU's O-line is going to be the key to the game. If those tackles that have played so poorly before but so well last week, I think they're going to continue to play well, and I think CU will be able to move the ball, look for a high-scoring game. I think um, if I were a betting man, I would take the over. And I think both teams are going to score in the high, well, easily the high 20s, maybe up to the mid-30s. And I'm going to say that CU pulls it out 33-30. Okay, well, optimism from downtown Denver. So I think this might be the first week that we've actually had a split in your predictions for the upcoming game. So, Brad, since you're the pessimist for the game, I'll let you leave us with optimism for the week. What are your words of wisdom to send us off? Four weeks ago, if we were all pretty confident that CU is going to be able to score 20, 25, 30 points against a Pac-12 team, we would have sounded delusional. So, and, you know, we none of us predicted that this team would continue to get better. So we have to remember that. And we have to remember that, God forbid, yet again, we are a young team. And showing progress over the next few weeks will matter a great deal. Okay. Words of wisdom. From downtown Denver, Neil, anything positive to send us off into the week with? Boy, it's hard to argue with facts, Brad. That's just not fair, giving all these this factual information. So I'm just going to take a flyer and get to Folsom, enjoy the crowd, enjoy the afternoon. And if the Buffs can just continue to play better, that's going to be enough. But for some reason, I'm just optimistic tonight. And I I think that CU may actually break through this week. We've had some false starts before. 
I'm going to put my faith in them and say, I think they can do it. But even if they don't, if it's a big crowd at Folsom, just enjoy the night. Very good. Well, and we'll continue to grade on improvement. You know, doesn't count necessarily in ones and losses, but we'll grade on improvement. So thank you, gentlemen. And we'll talk again next Monday night. Thank you, guys. Take care. Thanks for listening. If you've made it this far into the season and this far into the podcast, you are a true Buff fan. As a result, I'd like to offer you a present. I don't advertise this on the website, but I do send out a weekly email update for Arden CU fans. It comes out each Sunday morning and gives you an update on what is going on in the world of CU athletics, along with a preview of what is to come in the following week. This can prove especially useful during the football offseason when you may not be as tuned in to what is going on with the football program or need updates on CU's Olympic sports. It's free and it's easy. Just drop me a note at cuatthegame at gmail.com and I'll put you on the list. I will not try and sell you anything and I won't give your email away to anyone else who might try and sell you something. Fast, free, and helpful can't get a better deal than that. So until next time, be well, stay safe, and go Buffs. Thank you for listening to our See You at the Game podcast. For links to articles and stories referenced in this podcast, go to cuatthegame.com. That's the letter C, the letter U, at thegame.com. If you have comments or suggestions, you can leave them on the website or send an email to See you at the game at gmail.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please be sure to subscribe and share it with your fellow Buff fans. Until next time, when we will again see you at the game.